This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining with us today. This is Pastor Ethan, and today is Sunday, June the 18th, 2023, and I think it's been raining forever here in the Vale Valley. In the Eagle River Valley, if you are planning on coming out this summer, that's good for you. We're going to have plenty of water. It is green and beautiful. And I think starting tomorrow, the weather is going to clear. So I'm looking forward to that. But moving forward again, thank you for joining with us. Today, we are in week six of our little mini-series. We're going to wrap it up next week. But the title of this series has been Prayer from the Heart of God. If you want to know what that's about, go listen to message one. But in any case... We are exploring the prayers of the Apostle Paul and doing so as a lens to the predominant themes, right? The big, most important themes of prayer that we see in the New Testament. And one of these is Paul's great pastoral prayer for the church that we see in Colossians chapter 1. And we started this last week, and I'm just going to read it for you here in its entirety. It's Colossians 1 verses 9 through 14. I encourage you to go get your Bible track along with me, and we'll be looking at the second half of it in detail today, but let's just read the entire thing. So, good, Colossians 1, starting in verse 9, and we read, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and then this is where we'll pick up today in detail, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Wow. Just just reading it, I've read this hundreds of times, but just right now reading that prayer, it's superlative upon superlative. It's beautiful and inspiring, but when you really look at it, it's intensely practical. And it can be quite challenging. So, as last week, what we impacted in the first half of the prayer was we, what I just read. We, we see Paul praying that the Holy Spirit will work to give us wisdom and knowledge to understand God's will. Right? God's redemptive plan for people, his big picture will. And how God's purpose is that we then are the means through which God's working that will and that plan out in the world. Paul prayed that we would live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him not through legalistic performance, but through our trust, love, and our desire to live in obedience. And Paul went on and prayed that this will then lead us to bear fruit, right, in our lives as our trust in God and our love of God impacts how we bring God's goodness and hope and love and life to other people. And as our lives are bearing fruit, this in turn will grow our knowledge of God, his purposes, his nature, as we experience God's work in us and through us. Now, We may hear that and think, that's a high level of spiritual maturity. I am not there yet, at least not all the time. 
<laughs> if Paul himself were here, he would add, well, I know none of us are. This is why we need to pray for each other, pray for the church in this way, so that we would grow, mature, and receive God's power, that this will increasingly be our lived experience. Now, okay, so we talked about that in a lot of detail last week, but as we continue, Paul now prays that we, body of Christ, just believers, everyday believers like you and me, that we would be strengthened. Colossians 1 and verse 11 now. He says, being strengthened with all power, according to God's glorious might. Friends, think about that. that. That's an incredible thing to say. Paul here prays that we, that you and I, that we would know the strength of all God's power and the might of his glory. I mean, what does that even mean? How is this even possible? And I should add, this isn't a one-off prayer. All right, like Paul just gets a bit emotional here. No, we see him pray the same thing in Ephesians, just in Ephesians, twice. In Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20, and actually we looked at this prayer earlier, but Paul prays, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be opened and enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us, who believe. And then Paul says that power is the same as his mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Friends, did, did you catch that? But by, by the way, I forget if this was week two or week three that we looked at this prayer and the one that I'm about to, that I'm about to mention. But if you miss those, go back and listen to them because this is just an incredible statement. I mean, the Spirit here leads Paul to pray that we would know experientially in our own lives the power of God that raised Christ from the dead. It's resurrection power. In Ephesians 3, verses 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, that he may strengthen you with his power. Friends, I think of this in my own life. I mean, how could a person like me with my own weaknesses, my frailty, begin to possess, experience the fullness of the power of God? And friends, here's the answer to that. I don't know. I don't really have an answer to that question. I mean, we could sit down, and actually this is a good thing to do, right, with a stack of commentaries and people who have studied this passage over, over the years, come up with different theological possibilities. But when it comes down to it, this is part of the mystery into which God calls us. If you go read the book of Colossians, you'll see time and again, Paul speaks of this glorious mystery of God that we have in Christ been incorporated into. But friends, here's what we can know with certainty. God calls us to pray this way, to pray for each other, that we would be strengthened with his power, that we would receive by faith, grace that we need for each day. You see, a problem that we have in Christian culture is that we like to claim, at times, we like to claim promises that God just hasn't made. You know, we're never promised that life will be easy, or even that we will be delivered from our momentary troubles. I'll re reiterate that in just a second. But God has promised to provide us the strength, the grace, 
His power and presence for each day, for each step of life, for where we are in this moment right now. And so Paul prays that believers would know God's strength so that we may possess endurance and patience. Going on in verse 11, that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, okay, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Now, on the surface, this might make us a little nervous because if Paul prays that we would have great endurance and patience, well, this means that we are likely to face circumstances where we will need great endurance and patience. And that's Paul's point. This is the nature of life, and God never asks us to pretend otherwise. You know, we pretend around each other, but God never asks us to pretend. There, there's, there's a subtle difference here between the idea of endurance and patience. Endurance is the power to persevere when dealing with challenging and difficult circumstances, right? Things beyond our control. There's lots of examples we could give of that. Patience, on the other hand, points to, to the power to persevere when dealing with difficult people. And sometimes we need patience in the midst of our endurance. Church, just hear this. When we set our hearts and minds on the miracle of what God has done, what is true of us and for us in Christ, this is a powerful source of endurance and patience and faithfulness and peace. Now, there's so much more we could talk about there, but moving on. Having prayed that the believer will know this supernatural source of endurance and patience, Paul prays something now completely counterintuitive, at least from a human perspective. You know, if you think of it, there are multiple things in the New Testament that are counterintuitive, but this just, may, may, this just might be the central of all these counterintuitives. And it's that in the midst of circumstances that will require great endurance and patience, that we are invited to be filled with gratitude and joy. Verse 12, Paul prays that we may have great endurance and patience, verse 12, and that we would be giving joyful thanks to the Father. Now again, this isn't a one-off statement by Paul. In fact, this is one of the great themes, commands even, of the New Testament when it comes to our ongoing relationship with God and Christ. You know, perhaps the most famous example is a scripture that we looked at last week from Philippians chapter 4. We're starting in verse 4. Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And if you go and you read that in the context, what did Paul say right before that? He said, rejoice always in all circumstances. All right, friends, we need to acknowledge something here. There are times when this seems not just to be impossible, but absurd, maybe even angering to us. Now, just walk with me here. Um, some of you know that my new role in life, I'm a bivocational pastor now leading our Beaver, the Beaver Creek Service of Trinity, and my new almost full-time um, career, my role now, is that I'm a clinical chaplain with the local health network here in Eagle County. And friends, every day I spend time with people on the worst day of their life. And I want to tell you that despite what some Christian and teachers and authors try to assert and have tried to assert over the years, the reality of human suffering cuts equally across the Christian and the non-Christian world. 
You see, the idea that God will protect believers from the tragedies and difficulties of life, it's not just bad theology. It's actually very damaging to believers who are caught in such, in such times, in such events. And it also can be damaging to our witness. Because, and yet, in such times, right, in, in the midst of great, sometimes just, just life-wrenching struggle, across the years, I have heard believers confess, sometimes through tears and emotional agony, their deep, profound gratitude for the presence of God and the hope that they possess in Christ right then. And even though it's hard to put into words, I've also seen deep within people this taproot into the heart of God, nourishing them with a powerful presence of hope, again, and peace, and even joy that's beyond understanding. You see, my friends, our human nature, um, our intuitive thought, just in and of our human nature, is that gratitude and joy are emotions that are derived from positive circumstances. You've heard me say this before. And in a temporal sense, of course, they are. But the great counterintuitive of the gospel, of hope in Christ, is that gratitude and joy are precious gifts that we possess in our hearts. And by faith, we bring their very real light into the daily reality of life, principally in how we relate to people. Now, that is a deep end of the pool discussion. But I want to keep moving on because now Paul prays that these believers and you and I, that we would understand the reason we have such great reason to be filled with gratitude and joy. He concludes his prayer. As he concludes his prayer, Paul describes four realities that are foundational to our patience, our endurance, our gratitude, and our joy. And the first is that when it comes to being part of the greater reality of God's kingdom, we have been qualified. Right? Paul prayed that we would be giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. All right, friends, even for those of us who know this, who have maybe not just read, but even studied this scripture, we've just got to pause here and think and pray for understanding to begin to grasp just how miraculous this is. You see, a core tenet of biblical New Testament theology is that in the human condition, apart from the mercy of God, all of humanity is separated from God, enslaved by the power of sin, and spiritually dead. This is the result of the fall, and the evidence is, well, it's just human history. But then, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the fullness of God in the exact representation of God's being, if you go on in Colossians, you'll see that statement, in Christ, God defeated death, and made the way, opened the door, paved the road for humanity to be reconciled to God and to be brought back into union with our Creator, set free from the slavery of sin, and given new spiritual life. And this is the invitation standing before all of humanity in Christ to be brought from death to life. And not just for heaven when we die, but for right now. And think, my friends, again, 
Because of what God has done in Christ, in the mystery of our surrender and response of faith, God has given our lives a new quality. We have been qualified by God. It is something that God has done to be born anew into this life, into his family. And because that is true, we have no place of moral and religious pride because this gift of our adoption, our qualification into God's family is something that God did. In Titus chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, we see it put this way. And Paul here, writing to his friends, says, At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Just let me read that last statement, verse 5 again. He saved us, not because of what we have done, not because of our righteousness, not because we qualified ourselves, but because of his mercy. And friends, as we begin to even just comprehend this reality, the magnitude of this miracle of God's grace, it will bring us to our knees in humility, gratitude, and joy. And so, God has qualified us. The Greek idea there in that word is that he has made us fit by his grace to receive and enter into an inheritance. That's the next big idea that Paul gives us. Continuing in verse 12, he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Now, this is actually a huge New Testament concept, but just a few thoughts here. What is this inheritance? Okay, It's important for us to know that this isn't just something that's personal. You know, there's a temptation for us to think of our inheritance, our reward, you'll hear people use that phrase, as something that God gives to us that we possess for our benefit in a very individualistic way. That this is something that will be mine and different from other people. But the image here, and actually there, there's scripture you can go and look at and, and explore around that concept. But the image here, and predominantly throughout the New Testament, is that our inheritance in Christ is communal. It is shared. It is a matter of community. It is something we enter into with all other believers, the redeemed community, together experiencing our participation in the presence of God. In one sense, this inheritance is in the future, right? It is, as we would say, the eternity awaiting us when we depart this earth and enter fully into the presence of God, right? This is the not yet of our hope. But this inheritance that we have received is also the already. It is now, right? It's our inheritance of a new source of living, not bound to legalistic motivation, but to the motivation of love, and by the way, if you think that sounds squishy, it's not. Right? This is our inheritance of contentment, if we will receive it. It's the inheritance of freedom, our freedom to lay down our mask, to be ourselves, to stop performing for acceptance, the freedom from fear and insecurity, right? where our motivation and actually enablement to be obedient comes from God's grace. Again, if we will receive it and grow in it, this is the inheritance that we have received 
of the family of faith, the church, the local relational community of people who love one another, serve together, make our lives better, and make the world around us better, even when we're driving each other crazy. It's the inheritance of being the presence of God's goodness and love and kindness in this world. And friends, then Paul says, for he, and this is verse 13, for he, God in Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. My friends, in Christ, we have been rescued. You know, what does that word imply? It implies that we couldn't save ourselves, that God took the initiative. We cooperated, but God made the rescue happen. And he did it, which leads to, if we consider it, remember, a perspective of humility, gratitude, and joy. But we haven't just been rescued from darkness. We have been brought into the kingdom of Jesus, the son God loves, that Paul describes as the kingdom of light. <laughs> Friends, there's just so much there. But simply, the miracle of salvation isn't just that we have been delivered from the consequence of sin. Right? It is. Praise God. But it's not just that we have been saved from hell, even though that is true. This is how the gospel, just that, you know, the, the, I guess the first half of the gospel, you could, you could describe it, is that we, because of our faith in Christ, because of what Christ did on the cross, that we have been saved from the consequence of sin, right? That's the gospel that has been presented as the whole gospel by, by, by many for ages. But the great message of the gospel is both what we have been delivered from and much more the life and the new reality that we have been delivered into. Just a subtle note here. Paul says that we were rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the son he loves, the kingdom of light. So you've got two words here, dominion and kingdom. And these are not equal and opposite things. They're quite different. You see, dominion in its use here is a power. It's an influence. It's a terrible power. It is dominating, but it is a power without a home. And its time is limited you see, the dominion of darkness did not create this world. It does not own this world, nor sustain this world. Satan and the curse of human brokenness has sway in this world, great power. But that is not the last word. For what we have been brought into isn't just a temporary dominion. It is an eternal kingdom. It is the kingdom of Jesus Christ who did this work, who does own this world, who does sustain this world, and in his time will bring restoration to this world. For this is our great hope. It is the hope of redemption. And so Paul ends his prayer by reminding us that this redemption, our rescue and our restoration to God, is something that has already happened. That in Christ, we have been redeemed. Starting in verse 13 again, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You know, to redeem something when we see it in the sense of the New Testament, really just in common, common use of the word, it means to gain possession of something in exchange for a payment, the clearing of a debt, 
In a larger sense, the action of buying one's freedom. And this is what Christ has done. And the debt paid is the forgiveness of sin. The way Paul says this here is key. We have redemption. We possess it. It is now the state and the condition in which we live. You see, we haven't just been forgiven up to this point. Rather, in Christ, we are forgiven people. Redemption isn't just something Christ did for us. It is the foundational part, really, the, it is the foundation of our identity in Christ. I want to end with this. Friends, in the 1870s, a young itinerant evangelist named Philip Bliss wrote a hymn that would become a beloved confession of this great hope that Paul prays that we would know. It's still sung in many churches today, you know, over 150 years later. And the chorus is this, I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me, for on the cool cross he suffered, from the curse he set me free. So sing, O sing of my Redeemer, with his blood he purchased me. On the cross he sealed my pardon, he paid the debt and made me free. Friends, this is our truth. And in this prayer, with which he opens his letter to the Colossian believers, Paul prays that they would know, increasingly understand, and live in the good, the strength, the gratitude, and the joy of this truth. Friends, we, when we think of the meaning and the purpose of prayer in the New Testament, may we see this encouragement, and may this be said of how we pray, even today. And friends, with that, let me close us here this morning, or whatever time of day it is that you're listening to this, with prayer. Lord God, Lord, looking at this prayer as our inspiration, we ask, Lord, we pray that you would lead us to continually pray, to fill us with the knowledge of your will and all the wisdom and understanding that your Spirit gives. Lord, and as we grow in this way, looking to you, may our lives be worthy and pleasing to you in every way. And as a result, may we bear fruit in every good work that you prepare for us. And through all of this, Lord, may we continue growing in our knowledge and our experience of who you are. And so, Lord, we also pray that we would be strengthened by your power, by your glory and goodness, so that we may experience your endurance and patience in the reality and the challenges of life. And in all of this, Lord, we give you gratitude and we ask you to fill us with joy because of the miracle that you have qualified us to be your people, that you have rescued us from darkness and even more brought us into the kingdom of your son, Jesus Christ, who through his death and resurrection redeemed us, saved us, purchased us, and brought us into a place of total forgiveness and restoration before you and with you. Lord, I pray that this miracle that is ours, that you have brought us into, Lord, may we understand it, grasp it, and may this bring us to a place of humility, gratitude, and joy. And Lord, we thank you, and it is in your name, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for um, sticking with me today. 
I invite you to come back with us next week as we will wrap up this series. Again, looking at one more prayer of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. I love you. Have a wonderful week.